Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Welcome. Very exciting as we begin book three of the Rambam. The Rambam begins every book with a verse. Nochauti eidvesecha le'olam kisison libi heima. I have inherited your laws eternally because they cause the rejoicing of my heart. Sefer's manim. This is the book of times. The various aspects of Judaism which kick in in certain times. Behu, this would be Sefer Shlishi, book three. Hilchosav, its laws are Eser 10. Vizeh, Siduron, and this is the order. Hilchis Shabbos, the laws of Shabbos, which we're going to embark on. Hilchas Erevin, the laws of Erevin. Hilchas Shvisas Oser. The laws of the observance of the tenth day, which is Yom Kippur, or the resting of Yom Kippur, Yom Tov, the laws of resting on major festivals, the laws of Chometz and Matzah. I think everybody knows what that is. Bread and unleavened bread. Leavened bread and unleavened bread. The laws of Sounding the shofar, sitting in the sukkah and shaking the lulav and the other of the four kinds. Hilchashkolim, the laws of the shekel, the giving the shekels, bringing shkolim, half shekel to the Beis Hamikdash and so on. And its laws as they apply today. Hilchas Kiddush HaChodesh, the laws of the sanctification of the new moon. And Rosh Chodesh, Hilchas Tainis, the laws of fasting. Hilchas Megillah, the Hanukkah, the laws of Megillah and Purim. And Hanukkah, these are the ten general categories of laws in the book of Zmanim. And as we've pointed out many times, if you stick to the program, you review the entire Torah. There's no aspect of Torah that the Rambam does not cover. Both those aspects which were only applicable when the Beis Amigdar stood, and will return when Mashiach comes, as well as those aspects applicable only in the diaspora, the Rambam has it all. Beginning with Hilche Shabbos, the laws of Shabbos, Yesh Bechlolon, in this general law of Shabbos, there are so many complex details as we will learn. Yet, it's all within five mitzvahs. Shtei mitzvahs ase, two positive mitzvahs. Besholish mitzvahs leisase, and three negative mitzvahs. Vezehu froton, and now comes the details of these mitzvahs. Mitzvah one, lishbeis bashvid, to rest or abstain from labor type activity. Actually, I correct myself. One is to rest on, on the seventh day. Two is, shalelases by melacha, to abstain from labor-like activity. Three, shalelanesh b'shabbos, not to effect punishment, certainly not capital punishment on Shabbos. Four, shalelotzes chutz l'gvul b'shabbos, not to walk outside the boundary of one's area on Shabbos, as we will talk the details. And five is 
to sanctify the day of Shabbos by remembering it. And those are the positive things we do, such as Kiddush and so on. These are the five mitzvahs of Shabbos. Patek Rishon, chapter 1. Now in chapter 1, the Rambam in his brilliant way does an all-encompassing introduction telling us what the whole idea of labor on Shabbos, violation, what it means to violate, what it means to do labor, what one has to be thinking, what one has to be doing. These are the general parameters. And before we actually go into chapter 1, I would like to give a brief introduction. As we all know, and perhaps some of the people watching might not know or listening, there are 39 violations, forms of violation of Shabbos. These are referred to as the Lamed Tes Milochos, the 39 labors. They are not mentioned specifically in the Torah. These are such important laws. And as we will learn, it's possible that a death penalty could be attempted to be applied when somebody wantonly and intentionally violates this, yet it's not specifically mentioned in the Torah. It only talks about labor. But what are these labors? The way we learn this is that there are 39 major activities which the Jewish people engaged in in some say the construction, others say the day-to-day activity, some say both, of the tabernacle, of the mishkan. Anything required for the construction and day-to-day service of the tabernacle is called a labor, is called a work. Those are the things we're not allowed to do on Shabbos. And therefore, all of the Shabbos prohibitions connect back to the period of the construction and day-to-day activity in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle. There are primary labors, there are derivative labors called Oves and Tuldes, and so on. And now we're going to begin by saying in one that Shvisa Bashvi Mimelocha, to abstain on the seventh day of the week from any type of labor, and labor is in quotes. What kind of labor are we talking about? Labor which violates Shabbos. And as we often say, that people can take a very heavy couch and move it from one end of the living room to the other, all day on Shabbos, sweating buckets, and not violate Shabbos. Certainly not literally. They're violating it figuratively because they're not having a meaningful Shabbos, but they're not technically violating Shabbos. And in a place where there's no aid of carrying a handkerchief, carrying a key, violates Shabbos. So it's not about hard work and sweat. It's about quote-unquote labor. Abstaining from labor on the seventh day, mitzvah aseh is a positive commandment. Shenemar, as it says, uvayom hashvi tishbos, and on the seventh day, you shall rest. This is a mitzvah. Now, on the other hand, anyone who does engage in forbidden labor on the seventh day, on Shabbos, 
Bitel mitzvahs asay, not only does he nullify or negate a positive commandment, not perform a positive commandment, wantonly, wantonly ignore it, but we all, he also transgresses on a negative commandment. Shenemar, this same theme is covered in the realm of negative commandments. Lo sase kol melocha, and the Ten Commandments. Do not do any labor. Okay, so what if he doesn't listen and he does labor? <clears throat> Whatever labor is, as we will learn. So what's the cost? What liability does one incur? If one does perform a labor, it depends how it's done. Im also, and these are very important rules which we have to remember throughout. Im also if a person wantonly and intentionally violated Shabbos. He says, I don't care. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. Chayev chorus. The punishment is his soul is cut off from his people. And this is an expression which we should become familiar with called chorus. Another aspect during the time that the Beis Hamigdor stood this person would die prematurely before reaching the age of 50. Once the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, the punishment doesn't actually come in the physical realm necessarily. So this is the idea of kores, of the cutting off of the soul. That is if there were no witnesses who saw him, just between him and God. But, if there were two kosher, credible, responsible witnesses who saw him, and they saw he was about to do this labor, the hasra, and they warned him. And they said to him, listen up. It's Shabbos today. This is forbidden. We are two witnesses. If you perform this act in front of us, we could conceivably take you to court and prosecute you. And there might be a death penalty involved. And he says, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. That's called aiding witnesses, v'hasra, and warning. Nisko, then conceivably, this person could be brought to court prosecuted, and that could result in stoning, which practically speaking we know was very rare. Because you have to be a Michigana to do this after you're warned. And after you say, listen, we have you, we're watching you, and so on. And in general it says that any court that executed any person in a period more often than one execution in 70 years was called the murderous court. So this didn't happen every day. But conceivably it could happen. So that's when there were witnesses who observed and warned. But what if somebody inadvertently violates the Shabbos? It was an accident. He didn't know. What didn't he know? He didn't know it was Shabbos. He didn't know this was forbidden on Shabbos. Or he didn't know something substantial. We're going to talk about that. 
Chayev Korban Chatas Kavua. There's an obligation to bring a standard sin offering. Standard means, unlike the sliding scale sin offering, which the Torah talks about for certain transgressions, what you can afford, this is a standard sin offering. So we have three categories. Category one, intentional, results in the cutting off of the soul and everything else associated with that. Category two, during the time that the Sanhedrin functioned, if there were witnesses who warned him and saw him, and he says, I don't care, and he does it anyway, stoning. Category three, inadvertent, he brings a sacrifice. That's rule number one. So we have to know what we're talking about. Number two, also very important in order to understand the sequence here. Anywhere it says in the laws of Shabbos, that when somebody performs this, Chayav, he's liable. Liable what? What does liable mean? Hareze Chayav Kodesh. Liable means the cutting off of the soul. If there were witnesses who saw him and warned him, what does liable mean? Skila, the possible death penalty of stoning. And if it was an inadvertent transgression, Chayav means liable what? Chatos, to bring that standard type sin offering. So here we have the three definitions of what Chayav means. Okay. Gimel 3. The Chol Mokem Shenemar. Conversely, on the other hand, wherever Halacha. Wherever Jewish law says that someone who performs this deed is potter, is not liable, what does it mean? It means he's not liable, but it doesn't mean he can do it. Potter minakoros, it means his soul will not be cut off. Uminaskil, it means he will not be stoned if he's warned and witnessed. Uminakorban, it means he does not have to bring a sacrifice, but it doesn't mean you're allowed to do it. But you're still not allowed to do it. And this is a halachic expression of potur avol osur. Not liable, but still forbidden. I had a Rosh Yeshiva when I was an adolescent. His name was Rabbi Isaac Shveya, blessed memory. And he would say for something like this, he says, they're not going to make a kiddush in his honor for doing this. They're not going to give him mafter for doing this. But it's still forbidden. It's forbidden to do it on Shabbos. The prohibition is, it's a rabbinic law. This would be a harchoka, a safeguard, to keep us away from labor. Potter, not liable, avalosser, but forbidden. Now, what happens if somebody says, I don't care. I don't care about rabbinic safeguards. In the time that the Sanhedrin was functioning, and somebody who intentionally does that anyway, he says, I don't care. And he is seen doing it and witnessed. Makinese, makas mardus, then, 
They can take him into court, and the court can administer lashes as it wants to. We're going to learn that lashes is a very common punishment in Jewish law. If there's no death penalty, there could be lashes. And it's interesting. As we will learn more and more in Jewish law, there is no imprisonment. The whole idea of prison does not make sense in Jewish law. What happens when you put a guy in prison? A guy steals, you put him in prison, he learns how to steal better? It's a free school, except the taxpayer pays for it. So the whole idea of imprisonment is not something consistent with Torah law. By Torah law, you steal, you have to make restitution, you've got to pay back. You do a violation, there's lashes. There could be a death penalty. Then there's something called Marcus Mardus, rebellious lashes. Regular lashes, as we will learn, are 39 lashes. They send the guy to a doctor. The doctor has to give him a note how many lashes he can handle. If he can handle 39, he comes back and he gets the 39 lashes. If the doctor says, you can only have four lashes, I'm really sorry. You're a very weak guy. You're a little anemic. Four is a maximum. Six is the tops. Then they give him whatever the doctor says. Rabbinic lashes are at will, at the will of the court. Just for rebellion. It's a rabbinic application. So the guy violates intentionally, wantonly, a rabbinic law. They give him the rabbinic lashes. Similarly speaking, anywhere it says with regard to the laws of Shabbos, you should not do so and so. Or it's forbidden to do so and so on Shabbos. When somebody wantonly and intentionally does it anyway because he doesn't care. The court could apply this, these what we call stripes for defiance, which again is a rabbinic application. The court itself decides that not based on Torah law, based on the rabbinic law of giving the, uh, of the Torah, giving the rabbis authority. So that is the idea of potur, not liable, avol osir, but forbidden. Violating a rabbinic law. Dalit for the chol makim shenem mar mutalasas kach v'kach. Anywhere in the laws of Shabbos where it says it's permissible to do so and so. Harezem mutalachatchila to begin with. You can go and do it. It's permissible. Permissible means permissible. No problem. V'chein a similar expression. Wherever it says, he's obligated nothing. There's no liability. A potter is totally not liable. There's no rabbinic stripes, lashes. There's no nothing. It's 100% permissible. So there is chayiv, which means liable. Potter, not liable. Abel Osir, but forbidden. Or mutter, or einachayiv klum. Or potter miklum means totally permissible, under no obligation, not liable. That means go do it. Hey, five. Now there's another category. And again, these are general rules. If there is something which is permissible to be done on Shabbos, it's permissible to do it. And while one is doing that permissible act, if sure it's possible, that there will be accomplished as a byproduct, 
Melocha, a labor, a violation of labor, maybe it won't, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But whatever, this is not his intent. His intention is to do Act A. Act B, which is a violation, may happen and may not happen. If he doesn't intend that particular act of labor... then it would be permissible. And there's a serious discussion in the Gemara, their opinions, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi, a whole discussion in Beitza and in other places. But the Rambam brings down that if you intend to do Act A, and as a result of that, something might or might not happen, and it happens, you're not liable. Kate, so now he gives some examples. A person may drag a bed or a chair or a bench on Shabbos. There's no law against dragging chairs, beds and benches. What's the problem? The problem is you're dragging it on the ground, on dirt, on soil. As long as you don't intend to dig a ditch while you're dragging it, because that would be a violation, part of plowing, I believe. Therefore, if you're dragging this chair, this bed or this bench, and they did dig, the dragging caused the groove to be created in the ground. Let's not worry about it. Because he didn't intend to make a groove. The groove happened. It could have happened. It could have not happened. It depends how heavy the chair was, how heavy the bed was, how heavy the bench was, how hard the earth was, and so on. It didn't have to happen. A similar example Walking on grass on Shabbos in general, whenever you have a choice to walk on grass or to walk on what we call in our world the sidewalk. I mean, the very fancy streets like the one I live on, we don't even have any sidewalks because I'm a class guy. But assuming you have sidewalks because you're just a simple person, there's oh, it's always preferable to walk on the sidewalk or on the street if you can stay out of the ways of the cars. To walk on grass on Shabbos is a problem, but a person may walk on grass on Shabbos as long as he doesn't intend by his walking to uproot the grass. Uprooting is a violation, is a labor. As we learn when we learn the list of labors. The fecal, therefore, being that he didn't intend to uproot, he intended to walk, if it was uprooted, don't worry about it. Another example. A person can rub his hands on the dust of various foods, fruits, He says powdered herbs and so on. As long as he doesn't intend to remove the hair, which is a violation. 
L'figachim noshar, if he does, ain't a chayshis. Let's not be concerned. He doesn't intend it. V'chein pirtza dechuka, so also a narrow opening. Mutil ikonis ba b'shabash. You're allowed to enter it on Shabbos. Apapisha mashat tzreiris. Even though one is causing little pieces to fall. So also anything that's unintended, like this, this is permissible. Because on Shabbos, the bottom line is, you need intention. You need to intend to do the violation. There's no intention here, and it doesn't necessarily have to happen. Even if it happens, it's not a problem. Vav six, Aval, however, on the other hand, in contrast, Osamasa, if he does a deed, Venas is Biglole Melacha, and as a byproduct and a result of this deed, there is accomplished another act called a labor, one of the violations of Shabbos, Shabbatai Teyosa Bishrole Samasa, which will certainly be the result of his deed. Even though that was not his intention, Chayav is liable. Because it's 100% certain that this violation will come about, even though your intent is to do something else. Shandavar Yudua, because it's well known. It's literally not possible that this violation should not happen by doing the deed which you want to do. He brings down a famous example. Ketzad, for example, you see these days, you want to buy a toy for your kid, you go to a toy store. Back then, they didn't have toy stores. Can you imagine a world without toy stores? Huh. I'm a Toys R Us kid. They couldn't even sing that. They needed the head of a chicken for a child to play with. This was the best toy they can come up with. Is that the head of a chicken? Here, mama, play with the head of a chicken. His name, the chicken's name is Moishele. <clears throat> so you need a head of a chicken. The problem is it's connected to a chicken. So what do you do? You got to cut off the head on Shabbos. So your kid can play with it. So he can stop crying. His intention is not in any way, shape, or form to kill the chicken. As far as he's concerned, the chicken can live. He just needs the head. <laughs> Chayev, he's culpable, he's liable. Shadover Yudua, because it's a well-established fact. It's impossible to cut the head off a living entity and for that living entity to continue to be a living entity. It's not going to happen. Death is going to come. You can yell from today to tomorrow, I just need the head for a toy. But you're going to kill the chicken. And therefore you cannot cut off the head, even though you don't intend to kill it. Similarly speaking, anything parallel to this, you cannot do this when you know for sure this is going to occur. And the halachic expression is known as psik reisha vileyomus. The guy says, I'm going to cut off the head, but he doesn't have to die. Obviously, if you cut off the head, he dies. Zion 7, So also, another example is anybody who performs a forbidden labor, 
even though he doesn't need the actual labor that he performed, he's liable. He doesn't need that which he's doing, he's liable. Ketzad, what are we talking about? For example, what if somebody extinguished a candle? There's a candle burning, and he extinguishes it. Why is he extinguishing this candle? Because he needs the oil. He needs the wick. He doesn't want the oil or the wick to be unnecessarily consumed. In order that it not be lost. In order it not be consumed. Or he doesn't want the body of the candlestick to break. So he's not extinguishing this because he needs it extinguished. He's extinguishing this to preserve the oil or the wick of the candlestick. Because as we will learn, extinguishing a light is one of the 39 forbidden labors. And what is his intention here? He's intending to extinguish. Even though he doesn't need the body of the act of extinguishing. He's only extinguishing because he wants to preserve the oil. Or the candlestick, or the wick. He's liable. Because the fact is, you want to extinguish. I guess in today's world, you say you want to shut off a light because you want to save on your electric bill. You're not trying to shut off the light, you're just trying to save on your electric bill. So, also, another example is somebody who moves a thorn. More than four amas. An amma is approximately a foot and a half. More than six feet in a public domain. Or somebody. So this, this thorn is in a public domain. And he's afraid someone's going to get hurt. Or he extinguishes a coal. He doesn't want somebody to get burned. He's culpable. He's liable. He has no purpose in the extinguishing this coal or in taking this thorn and moving it more than four amas. He just wants to distance danger, remove danger. Obviously, we're not talking about serious life and death danger. Then there are different laws of Shabbos which we're going to learn about, but we're talking about preventing a possible mishap. Now we come to an interesting law, and this is the law of intent. Whenever a person intends to perform a forbidden labor, what happened was another labor, which he had no intention of doing, because he intended the first but instead, the second happened. Potter Aleo is not liable. And this is an example of Potter Avol Oser. Not liable, but still forbidden. Because his intent, that which was in his thought, never came about. Ketzad, for example. Zorak Eben, a Ketz 
His intention was to throw a stone or to shoot an arrow into another person or into an animal. <coughs> what was his intent? To kill. Killing is forbidden on Shabbos. The Holach, and he went, the Okar, Elon Bahalichtai. That which he threw, the stone or the arrow which he shot, uprooted a tree on its road, on its root. Velay Horagan didn't kill anybody. Killing is one labor, uprooting is another. Harezeh Potter, he's exempt, he's not liable. Harezeh Kalvachemer. Certainly, if he intended a lesser violation and a more severe violation came about. Again, for example, we're going to learn that there are four different domains on Shabbos. The most severe is the public domain. You're not allowed to carry from it into the private domain. Within it, more than four Amas. A less serious domain is called a Carmelis. It's not a private domain and it's not a public domain. His intention was to throw a stone in a Carmelis. And looking at the note here, a Carmelis is a domain in which the sages applied the prohibitions against transporting and throwing articles, which apply in the public domain by virtue of Torah law, so it's a rabbinic violation. Thus, the person had the intent of violating merely a rabbinic law. And we'll talk later about Carmelis. The Avroha Evan, but the stone kept going, and it went into the Shusarabma public domain. Shehu Potter is not liable, because his intent was not to throw it into the public domain. The same applies to any, serious, any similar scenario. He intended to do the permissible. He did something else. For example, again, for example, uprooting something that grows is one of the labors, one of the prohibitions of Shabbos. He intended to uproot, to pull out that which is already severed from the ground. And instead he uprooted, he cut that which is connected to the ground. is not liable. He had a, a plant, and the plant was sitting, it's already uprooted, and he intended to cut that. Instead, he cut the plant next to it, which was still connected to the ground. But he didn't intend to. is not liable. Similarly speaking, anything similar, you have the same application. Tess. If a person intended to pick figs, but the figs he intended to pick were black figs, and he went and picked white figs instead. So that was not his intent. His intent was, first he's going to pick figs, and then he's going to pick grapes. And in fact, the way it came out was, for whatever reason, he first picked the grapes, and then he picked the figs. Potter is exempt. Even though, in the end result, he collected everything. 
that he intended to, the figs and the grapes. But being that he didn't gather it in the order that he intended, Pottery's exam, also, because he didn't have his intent of first figs, then grapes. This is the bottom line, that the Torah only prohibits meleches, a labor, machsheves, of the thought process, purposeful, intentional labor. And obviously, if you intend one thing and you do another thing, it's not purposeful. You attend. If a person has two candles before him, in one scenario, both are lit. In another scenario, both are extinguished. He wanted to extinguish one lit one, and instead extinguish the other. Or, in the case where they're both unlit, he wanted to ignite, to light one, and he lit the other, he's liable. Because, he intended to kindle, and he kindled. He intended to extinguish, and he extinguished. What is this similar to? He intended to pick a fig, and he picked another fig. He intended to kill one person. He killed another person. Because killing, extinguishing, was his intent, and kill he did, and extinguish he did. Eleven, but... If his intention was to kindle the first candle, or to extinguish the second, he wanted to do an exchange. I'll kindle candle number one, which is not kindle. I'll extinguish candle number two, which is kindle. And the thing flipped. And he extinguished the first. And he lit the second. After it, Potter is exempt. But if he extinguished one and kindled one in one breath, Chayev is liable. Even though the kindling didn't come first, which was his intent, he didn't make it come late. They were simultaneous. Therefore, Chayev is guilty. Anything similar. However, when a person performs any labor casually without specific intent, and this is called misaseik, casual performance of labor, potter, he is not liable. Twelve, you'd base, call on miskabin lasis melocha. Anybody who intends to do a labor, and a greater labor or more effective labor is performed more than he wanted. Chayev is guilty. If it's less than he intended, Potter is exempt. He's not liable. Ketzad, for example, he intended to carry a burden suspended behind him. But instead, the burden was suspended in front of him. Chayav, he's guilty. He's liable. Because by attaching a burden behind you, you're watching it and guarding it, but only minimally because it's behind you. But if it's in front of you, you're guarding it better. But if he intended to bring it out before him, 
in front of him, and it flipped behind him, Potter is not liable. Because he intended to bring it out. With a better guarding, and he had a lesser. Similar speaking, any other similar scenario. Yud Gimel. He's wearing a belt. And he takes this load and places it between his body and his garment. Being that the load came. Which is usually brought out in this way. Before him. I'm sorry. Whether it came before him, whether it came behind him, because when something is suspended between a garment and his body, that's what happens. It flips around. Yudalit. 14. Anybody who intends to do a labor on Shabbos, he began, and he does according to the amount of work sufficient to incur that liability because some of the labors of Shabbos have volume minimums. He's liable even though he didn't finish the entire labor. Ketzad, for example, writing is one of the 39 labors. He intended to write a letter, or he intended to write a document on Shabbos. We don't say, this should, the person should not be liable until he finishes his intent. He writes the whole document. the whole letter. Once he writes two letters, that makes sense. He's liable. If he intended to weave an entire garment, once he weaves two threads, two strands, he's liable. Even though he intended to finish it. Being that he did the minimum with intent, he's liable. And everything similar has the same structure. Tesva 15. Kol melocha. Every labor, which an individual can perform on his own. And two people did it together in partnership. Where the one does part and the other does part. One of them picked up the item from one domain. And the second placed it down in the other domain. Or they did it together, literally, from beginning to end. They both held on to the pen because what they wrote. Or they both held a loaf of bread. And took it from one domain to the other. Two people do one labor, they're exempt. Tezayin 16, on the other hand, if they both cannot do it, because it's too difficult, until they join up together. Kigain, for example, two people want to lift a heavy beam, and take it out into the public domain from the private domain. Being that there's no strength within one of them to do it independently, 
We also say bishut vs mitchilav outsof, and they do it in partnership from beginning to end. Shneim chayavim, they're both culpable. Vishirachas the shneim, and there's one minimum. But if one of them had the strength to do it, and the other one doesn't, and they both join together, the first one who was able to do it alone, he is guilty, even though but the, even though he had help, the second is just helping him. A helper does not guilty. In similar situations. 17, a general rule is kol hamakalkalin pturim. Any labor which is performed only for the purpose of being destructive is not liable. Ketzad, for example. If he causes a wound within his friend, a bibehemor within an animal, in a destructive way, <clears throat> destruction is not a labor on Shabbos only for the purpose of improving. Because everything done in the Mishkan was for the purpose of building and improving. Also, if he rent, he tore garments. A serafon or burned garments. A shiva or broke vessels. In a destructive manner. He's not liable. Of course, the act is forbidden, but he's not liable. Classical example of potter, avol oser. Not liable, but forbidden. If he dug a pit, he doesn't need the pit, he just needs the dirt. As far as the pit is concerned, he is being destructive, and he's exempt. Even though he dug a pit, and that's a labor. Being needed, need the pit. Potter is exempt, but if he needed the pit, that's a different ballgame. 18, however, and this is a very important law, what if somebody does something destructive with the intention that through this destructive activity he should improve something? Chayev is guilty. Ketzat, for example. Anybody who's ever known destruction, I'm sorry, Correction. Anybody who's ever known construction knows that in order to, to construct, in order to build, you have to first demolish. You know that in the city of Los Angeles, you need a permit to demolish. Why do you need a permit to demolish? Because it's part of building. You're demolishing for the purpose of building. You're demolishing in order to build. Or you're erasing. He's erasing in order to write in the same place where he erased. He's building, he's digging a pit. Why is he digging a pit? To sink a foundation. In order to place a foundation, to build a foundation. In order to build a building, you have to dig down and place a foundation. Chayab is culpable. He's liable. And what is the minimum of the activity? The same minimum as the activity of construction. Yutez 19. Anybody who performs a violation, a forbidden labor on Shabbos, part of it was inadvertent, unintentional, or part of it was intentional. Whether it began with the intentional and ended with the unintentional. Or it began with the unintentional and ended with the intentional. 
potter, he's exempt. Until he does the entire minimum volume of the activity, from beginning to end, with intention. And then he will be, if it was intentional, Liable for the punishment of the cutting off of the soul we talked about in the beginning. There will be witnesses who saw him and warned him. There could be the stoning. Or he does the whole thing inadvertently from beginning to end. And then he'll have to bring a sin offering, standard sin offering. But half and half, he's not obligated to do anything. This concludes chapter 1.